folks, and we're back with another episode of Inspire AD. I'm Max, one half of Inspire Pro Ownership, sitting across the table from Justin Bissonette, another person responsible for the fiasco that is Inspire <laughs> Pro. <clears throat> and when last we left off, we had wrapped up Battle Wars, a phenomenal crossover event between Inspire Pro and Chikara Pro. And we join myself and Bison. <laughs> We're probably grumbling and, yeah. and also glowing, I think. <clears throat> Biss talked about how this came about at a point in time where we really needed it. We'd been kind of let down by a lot of the dealings that surrounded the shows. Uh, we all had stuff going on. I think I had also started to just have elements of stress piled onto me. I believe I had just purchased a home and I found out that uh, I was going to have a baby Yeah. around this time as well. Um, and of course I'm sitting on that because you know, I don't want to jinx anything by telling everybody like, Hey, I'm going to have a kid. <laughs> so, but it's, it's, it's in the back of my head and I know that things are going on in my own personal life that detracted from me really enjoying what was going on in the inspire pro sphere. Anyway, uh, We'd had kind of a tumultuous night that was nevertheless still very cartoonish. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, we're mopping up, and I'm sure I'm grumbling about the fact that Scott didn't make it. Yeah. And I know that uh, other people have gone off to do their victory run following the show to talk about how great <laughs> it was. And here we are cleaning up streamers, confetti, beer cans, you know, and of course commiserating but you know i think honestly that really that really brought us closer together man somehow yeah <laughs> anyway um when, when, la when last we left off we also we ended with some of a teaser <laughs> so you know every time we have out-of-town guests they typically go off and do do whatever they do but rarely do are there any repercussions and What's funny is the day after <laughs> Battle Wars, I'd gone home to sleep it off, Biss too, and uh, something occurred uh, off the off the Marquesa <laughs> property involving one of the talents that had been brought in to work yeah. the show, and uh, it's it's pretty funny. Uh, we, we we kind of went over it last time how Machiko, one time uh, ACW roster member. Uh, had, and, and also romantic interest of Darren Childs, owner of ACW, uh, had shown up with, with, uh, with, with Teddy Hart as his, as his handler and his valet. And apparently they'd gone off after the show ended to Trudy's, which is where Darren Childs was a manager, I believe. And I'm not saying this to disparage him, by the way. As I've worked in, I've worked in the, um, the service industry for many many years at this point i was working yeah. at a bar called Beerland in downtown uh austin i was i was a manager and a booker there so yeah i don't nobody try and twist the context of that at all yeah. uh, you this, know this was not cool at all but it's still a humorous story yeah so apparently i found out about this because i was accused <laughs> of setting of, it up <laughs> of setting it up uh and that is that could not be further from yeah. the truth but i believe Bar uh, byron wilcott yeah. who had at some point actually also been excommunicated from acw he was a guy that like, oh that's right so this kind of adds yeah. a, a bit more color to, to the story you yeah. know there are a lot of people who have been shit on by that company at this yes. point in time so there were a bunch of people that didn't necessarily like darren yeah. um but anyway somehow they wound up byron machiko and teddy at the trudy's where darren was working and i believe it was uh after they would eaten their meal that teddy gathered all of the plates up off the table and took them to the kitchen to wash them. And I believe he also still had Mr. Money with him at this point. More than likely, yes. Yeah. So you got to imagine that Teddy takes his dirty dishes to the, the, the sink because no masters, no slaves, man, you know? <sighs> He's going to do his own goddamn dishes with his fucking cat and his <laughs> pee-smelling tracksuit. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, but anyway, apparently we were accused of 
attempting to denigrate, derail, and sabotage the Trudy's ex- experience for other people there by sending them over there could not be further from the truth. And in fact, I will say this right now. I had no fucking idea where Darren worked. I didn't know what he did. I didn't care. I had no clue. I, did, I, just, I just didn't care. So this was something that was actually probably more than likely set up by Machiko as kind of a middle finger to Darren because they had their own personal business. I can't control people or what they do outside of our business, yeah. you know? Probably Byron. More more than likely, everybody involved. Yes. How about that? Yeah, Let's just say yeah. That. It was anyway. prob- probably pieces of each. But I, I I gotta I gotta say I can't lie. I did fucking laugh my ass yeah. off when I heard about this. But also just the fact that I was accused of doing this thing that I very clearly did not do, did not care enough to do, had my own shit going on. Like I said, I'm expecting a baby. I've got a mortgage. <laughs> I work as a bouncer at a club. I am the booker of Beerland, Texas. I'm a screenwriter on the side, so I've got deadlines going on and shit like that. So you got to imagine, I'm busy. I know Darren loves to call me a failed screenwriter too, by the way. Fuck you, by the way. I'm not failed. I fail. I don't fail. I succeed. I succeed sideways. I've sold enough work to not qualify as a failure. Run that through your motherfucking pipe, you piece of shit. Anyway, moving right along. Hold on. Before we do, can we just break down one excellent piece of this, right? Sure. Just, Just something that you have to think about, right? So the funny thing is, eventually somebody walks up upon... Teddy and was like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. <laughs> and Teddy responds, it's cool. Darren Childs told me I could. Oh, God. I didn't right? hear this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but think about this. You're like this freshman college student who wants to get the fuck out of work to go write his fucking lit two paper. Right. And you walk upon Teddy Hart and his fucking cat Which is in, your, on his shoulder. in yeah. your kitchen, like washing dishes and you have to be the one to be like, excuse me, sir, why are you washing these dishes? Like, just think of that for fucking Saps Night, right? Yeah. Anyway, the show went well. And uh, I remember being fairly stressed out about this because, you know, working at a club also, fun, fun, fun fest is approaching. Yeah. And we have somehow as other people like to think, finagle their way (laughs) into this scenario. But here's the deal. I had been booking shows for many, many years at this point. I booked a a popular local club. I was friends with the guy who ran Fun 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 Fest, Graham Williams. He knew that I had a company. He loved the idea of variety. He didn't think that there needed to just be one singular company doing pro wrestling at, at these events. You know, because what we do is unique to what we do, and what Darren does is what he does. It's almost like saying, well, can't have more than one punk rock band on the fucking (laughs) black stage this year. Yeah. It was absurd, but, like, Darren got, again, real fucking mad. He was like, oh, you're trying to rip us off, blah, 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 blah. But to be frank with you, I lived in Austin longer than he did, I think. Wait. Nah, but it's cool. How long? (laughs) Did he grow up here? Yeah, he grew up here. He's He's a Lander kid. I'm a Cedar Park kid, so yeah. Leander doesn't count. Yeah, we we feel like it does, though. Us suburban kids feel like we identify with Austin. Look, man. I get it. I, you're going to go this New Yorker shit. No, but I'm not. I'm telling you. I'm not. I'm going to go the dazed and confused route. Ain't no Leander motherfuckers in that movie. Okay? That's Austin kids. Okay. Um, look, you know, I, I know Darren grew up in Leander. I'm not, I'm not a native Texan. But I will say that I spilt enough blood and sweat and tears on Red River. I booked enough shows to qualify as somebody that belonged to downtown. And being a part of Fun 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 Fest, outside of simply doing Fun 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 Nights or hosting, you know, sister shows to the fest, meant a lot to me to, to do this thing that I do out there. And I'm forever grateful for Graham Williams giving me that opportunity. I didn't twist anybody's wrist. I wasn't trying to horn in on anybody's shit. In fact, if I could have stayed as far away from as possible from their shit, I would have, because honestly, I didn't think they deserved the dignity of rubbing elbows with us. Um, I know I'm coming off as really salty here, but I I played the bigger man for many, many, many years. You know, yeah. And I think that's important because if you remember, we tried to get two rings mm-hmm. and basically it wasn't going to happen. No. So that plays a part in this whole thing is that we, uh, ACW is supplying the ring for this event. 
Oh yeah, this is a big deal. They've got their own crew. They've got they've got their own ring. Um, and there's much to be said for how they handle themselves on a professional level here. I mean, besides the the, the errant drug use and <laughs> the bad attitude and all that shit. But the ring crew, not pro, and very clearly couldn't give a shit about us being ass out at some point. If, you know, they didn't want to sh- like set up the ring on time. Yeah, and, and that was really it. Didn't make them look good. Uh, to the people that were running the fest, you know, because these people are putting out fires. They don't. They don't want to worry about about the ring. Yeah. But most certainly, that was something that occurred. Yeah. So you were extremely stressed over this. Yeah. Had to have been because mm-hmm. this, to me, this was like <clears throat> take your kid to work day for uh-huh. you because you work with these people. Yeah. Whereas before in ACW, it was party time. You know. Yeah. Um. So that that became a weird thing too because. So this is going to be completely inside baseball a little bit as far as like how events work. <clears throat> but with ACW, we would get artist bands mm-hmm. and we would basically have access to everywhere the artists do. Um, that changed this year. But ACW still had artist bands, but we ended up with performer bands or something like that. Yeah. There wasn't a huge difference this year, but it was just enough to where. We had the, the talent had to be split. So if you were under ACW's group, you got their bands, and if you were under our group, you got our bands, and it was just this huge fucking headache. Yeah. Um, there was also there was also an issue where a bunch of our drink tickets were actually pillaged by ACW. They took a bunch of our shit. Yeah. And that pissed me off. I think at this point I'm just like, you know, man, fuck you. Yeah. I think at one point I was even, I was even like, you know, we were coming off of Battle Wars. It was a high profile show. Um, I had been blamed for. Orchestrating Teddy Hart invading his fucking uh, place of business, I was just tired of being yeah. blamed for shit. I was told like I, we were ripping them off. Like I, I pride myself on walking my own path. Yeah, I think the creative trends of our company are very far away from what what they did. But this is definitely a situation where I was just lamenting, lamenting that we had to be near them. But I was still very excited to be a part of Fun 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 Fest. Yeah, and. Was th- this was the Judas Priest year? No. Okay, but still, there was cool shit to be seen. Oh, oh fuck yeah! Yeah, yeah, right. So it, it, it's still a fucking music festival, right? That we yeah. get to go perform on and then hang out, and it's it's I just think, a cool weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but it, but it was awkward. Uh, I believe the everything got started late because it was raining on the first day. Yes, which just added to I think sort of a miserable. A miserable quality to to the whole affair. Yeah, we were really we were waiting for the ring to get set up, which we had no control over. And of course, if they didn't want us to have a ring, they would make it so that you know there was no ring. We they were late setting it up at yeah. one point. Um, and of course, one of the major problems with that ring was that after the wrestling ended and the night stuff began, the sun went down. People were lounging in that ring. You know, they covered yeah. it up as best they could due to the rain, but also the people being in the ring. And there was a little bit of wear and tear there, I believe. Yeah. It, not not the best situation for a ring. You want to be able to kind of guard it off and no one seemed to give a shit. I think you had one ring crew person that tried to stay with the ring. Yeah. I think Jack Jameson got super drunk <clears throat> and ended up they just threw him in the ring to try to, like, yeah, yell at people. Um, what a, so the, what a <laughs> fucking shit show, yeah. seriously. So the first, the first day... It's basically five minutes to our our opening bell, uh-huh. and the ring crew is at the fucking gates of the event, right? And of course, they don't just leave the ropes up. The ropes are down. The fucking canvas or the canvas is on, but the the curtains aren't on. It's just fucking not what needs to be set up to run a show. Even even if you were running a fucking podunk town ring in a room show, it's not set up how we need it. Visually, it's not a great presentation. It's not yeah. a good look. You know, so so we we you know we finally get them here. They set up the ropes. I want to say we're we're maybe ten fifteen minutes late, which sucks because our our times are only like an hour. Yeah. Right. So we open with our first match, which is Matt Riot and Eric Shadows, who are super athletic, taking on the Orphans. This is um, the Taylor bro- brothers, who are super athletic as well. And they do some, this is exactly what we want out of our first match. Just young guys going out there, giving it, they're all doing super athletic stuff. So at least finally, once it it starts, we're off on the right foot. Yeah. 
and we follow up with the payoff of about a year-long story at this point. We have the Hollywood Knives explode as Steve O'Reno defeats Bradley Axel Dawson in a Loser Leaves Inspire match. Bradley Axel Dawson's done. He'll never be seen from again. This was actually a really good match and a really good payoff. And I think this, you know, we had an hour every day. And so I wanted to make sure that whatever we threw out there could serve as content that we could throw in front of our fans yep. until we got back in front of their, their eyes over the course of the holiday. I thought this was a great idea. It incentivized people to kind of look at us and go like, hey, they're still doing storyline stuff. Whereas I felt like the other company was just there to get fucked up and go see bands, and they really approached the model with, get all of your douchebag friends on the card. Yes. And that's not what we did. We approached this in a very lean fashion. We didn't try to overextend the company. Um, and we didn't try to take advantage of the folks at Margin Walker. Yeah. We just wanted to put on a good show, put on good matches, produce them as best we could. They're not beautifully produced. I think we were actually yeah. dealing with some uh, some switchover in terms of our filming stuff. I believe so at yeah. this point. Yeah. So you know, there, there, it was. It's not. It's not like beautiful. And there were a lot of variables that sur- surrounded yeah. us in terms of difficulty, but. I think we even we even went a little too conservative on the crew because we went super lean. Yeah, we we were trying to impress that we could do this very professionally, um, and I, well, we just didn't have the people in the fold. But it would have been nice to have some extra production people mm-hmm. to to help out. So the finals of the first night is the Congressional Medal of Honor Battle Royal, which is a, a really fun concept we came up with just for fun 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 fest and steve right out of his match with bradley axel dawson just just wrestled let me go back to that actually before i i jump on sure brad had not wrestled really that much in our company Mm -mm. so like this is his first time to actually wrestle it's like oh shit there's something here yeah so yeah it was uh i was not expecting much and he kind of he kind of surprised me with yeah, about what he had. He, he put on a good show yeah. here. It's a great match. I was really proud of it. it. It surprised me. Yeah. So, but Steve comes off of that match, enters the battle royal, literally walks in, grabs a, a drink of water, and comes right back out in the battle royal. And the battle royal is basically everyone that we have booked for the weekend. That's you know, yeah, part part of it, right? So. I think we we tried to get some extra names, but it was like this weird divide bullshit, right? So there was very much Darren going, "Well, if you work for them, you can't work for us." Yeah, there there was some of that, which we were going to have some neat little surprises here and there, but then it just became drama. It was a fiasco. So part of the Teddy Hart thing that pissed me off was I had to fucking apologize to Darren for our guys doing it. Which anytime I have to fucking apologize to Darren, annoys the fuck out of me. So we had the battle royal. How many times have you had to apologize? There's Darren? two times that I can think of. What happened? What's the, the second time? The next fun, fun, fun fest when Brandon pulls his shit. Oh, okay. Spoiler alert: oh, We'll get to that in a year. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's always fun, fun, fun fest. See you in a year from now. Some yeah. shit. I have to fucking. Yeah. Hey douchebag! I'm sorry that one thing fucking happened compared to your 25 fucking things you've done in the past year. Mm-hmm. But that's a story for another day. Um. Steve wins the Congressional Medal of Honor. Which gives him a shot at, uh, like, a... Gives him a shot at any title he wants, anytime he wants. We cut a fun little promo where I get to cosplay as Dana White again. Um, And he eliminates Jojo Bravo to to pick up the win. So that's our night one. We go... um, I have an extremely good time... (laughs) Uh, the next the next day I am in I am sunburnt to hell and I am uh, in like the shittiest clothes ever I look like a bum and for whatever reason I have to announce the rules to something I think it's the, this four way match that's the first match and what it means and I look like absolute shit I remember you <laughs> being like no somebody has to explain what this means to this crowd or else I, I, was, know. I was very strict I, I drug my fucking feet on it because I felt like and looked like shit um but it worked because it's a fucking music festival and hey man yeah. I, I fucking partied my face off I'm sorry guys I look like shit but here's the deal um, so we have this four way it's for the the first 
challenger to the pure prestige title. And at this point, we kind of, we pat Mr. B back on the back. We give him the victory over Eric Shadows, Matt Riot, and Jordan Jensen. Which means that he gets to come back yeah. and, you know, wrestle for the uh, pure prestige yeah. uh, championship at a later date. Yeah, we, we tie him in on. Yep. So the next match on this, this night is Jessica James versus Cherry Ramones. Excellent chemistry here. Really fun. They had, and they had a good crowd for this. Yep. And the, the finals is a three-way match. The winner is going to be the last person in the gauntlet to replace the J-Crown. This is JoJo versus Steve versus Davey Vega. And Davey Vega picks up the victory. We, yeah, we actually have to kind of go into that because, you know, we had to liquidate Sammy. Yes. And Sammy was a title holder. He yep. held the Junior Crown uh, uh, title. And so I was a fan of the Junior Crown title because it I, you know, gave the smaller cruiser-style guys something to do. And you knew what you'd always get out of a match that was centered around that title. And <clears throat> with Sammy gone, the title was obviously vacated. We weren't going to bring him back to job him out or to drop the title because mm. what, had, what had occurred was so severe that no one in the locker room wanted to be around him. He yeah. had basically besmirched the name of RCW, and in the process, he was putting over Aquaman, but in a way that was yeah. less than savvy. While the family was mourning. Yeah. you know, Not cool. If you if you don't know, Sammy Guevara, our, our J-Crown champion, had remarked after an announcer for another company had passed that he would rather see that person die than have to remain in that company. And it... It turned a lot of people on him. So, yeah, he was gone. And at this point, we're setting up the pieces for uh, crowning a new junior crown uh, champion at Ecstasy of Gold, which is going to be occurring uh, in January. So, yep. it's like, this is a few months down the line. But we're, we're planting seeds here. Yeah. It, the only other thing that I, I'd like to touch on at Fun 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 Fest is just how shitty... The locker room was left for us on the night, too. Do you remember that? Yeah. Well, every time you went back there, it was like a fucking puffer tent, man. It was it was yeah. smoky. It was, I mean, it was like they were just smoking weed. And, you know, I mean, it, there was just like, like a better yeah. lack of professionalism in terms of safety, too. You know, like Jameson going out drunk out of his fucking gourd. And getting his ass beat one year by Ricky Starks, I think, yeah. uh, legit. Like, Ricky, <laughs> like, fucking beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Because he was so fucked up, but it's like, it, it's kind of like when someone who's affiliated with something that you do does something bad, right? When someone in wrestling does something bad, it makes the whole of wrestling look bad. And when you're sharing a locker room with people doing shit like this, like using drugs, sneaking in beer, which is against the law. Yeah, that was bad, too. Yeah, it, it, it really it really potentially could have affected us. My relationships on a professional level as a booker of live music in this city that I share with people who are organizing this festival, man, it drove me nuts, and it showed, you know, a complete and utter lack of respect. I think at this point I can shoot my mouth off about this situation as a whole, and, uh, because we apologize for things we should have never had to of apologize for but also there was never an apology toward toward us there was never any sort of respect shown toward us no courtesy no. nothing and before I'm I'm not going to act like I was always a saint and there was never drug use but before at least it was after the show yeah you know we, we did our business we did our business very well and, and then yeah we partied back in the day but this was not that this is denigrated into just constant partying yeah um yeah that's my final piece on it Anyway, what else did we do? I don't I don't remember any of this. I, I just remember that... I you were very, partying too hard, brother. I wasn't partying. <laughs> I know. I was, you I were was, getting ready for a kiddo. Well, I was getting ready for a kiddo, and I was working clubs, too. Yeah. If you recall, like, yeah. you got to sit around, you know, with your dick in your hand, watching <laughs> badass bands do yeah. shit, and I would have to go off to beer land to, to work. Yeah. And then I would work until 3 a.m., and then I would come back to the park in the morning. <laughs> so that's, you, what, that's what my yes. schedule was. It was, not, it, it was not fun. It was very much take your kids to work day, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> for me, for me, the fun, fun, fun stuff, I, it's a blur. All I really required was that it set up our event in uh, January that was coming up. Yeah. And I really just wanted to make sure that whatever we did uh, could be used to promote the event. 
that we had at the Marquesa. That it was very important to me. Yeah. So let's dive into Ecstasy of Gold Two. And at this point we've built we've come off of Battle Wars. We've gone through the fun, fun, fun. And fun, fun, fun basically becomes like an advertisement for the company. Yeah. It gives us content to keep people going, keep our storylines in people's mind. It put, it put us in front of new eyes. Yes. You know? uh, two of which were um, Alley Cat mm-hmm. and Lainey Luck, who were there as fans. And shortly after that began training to be wrestlers, right? So Absolutely. Uh, crazy stuff like that. You can actually you can see Lainey on camera um, if you go back and you watch the, the matches from this. So, but we're building up this Ecstasy of Gold 2 show. It's going to be on January 4th, which is an important date in wrestling, um, which is the New Japan Tokyo Dome show every year. Yep. So, uh, it's on a very special date. And as we put this card together, we've kind of, we're kind of looking at it from the Battle Wars show and we end up putting together what which is a really big show again in January and we have a lot coming together in January. So I think that's a major thing back to back. The January shows are these huge shows and I think that's really what drove this becoming the flagship event for us. Yeah. Absolutely. And um I think at this point we were we had talked about bringing Chuck Taylor in again. Yeah. Uh, he was on our very first event. Uh, he he competed for contendership for the title, and we we really enjoyed having him. I find him to be endlessly enjoyable as a performer and a human. I I I I got to host him a little bit when he was there the first time, and I did again when he was here for uh, Ecstasy of Gold too. But we had tried to bring him in to kind of beef up everything that we were doing at Battle Wars, and it didn't work out. But he was available for this date, and so. We just kind of like let him trickle down down here, and decided to do some some fun stuff with him on this card. It was a nice revisiting. It was great to have him back. Uh, it was also I think he was one of the first repeat guests as well. Yeah, definitely. And so we also at this point, so Stroud has fizzled out as far as paying for the XXD shows, the women only shows. Oh boy. So what has happened is that he has agreed to. So here's the deal we are if it's a good night we're able to pay for our local talent any travel or any big name fee is basically coming out of someone's pocket so stroud to keep the xxd stuff going has agreed to pay for travel for the women's stuff that's on the show so on on this show but we we kind of start putting more of a filter on things right yeah so we have agreed. One of the people he wanted to bring in was Kimberly. So, uh, and I agreed on this one. So he's bringing in Kimberly here, and he's bringing Veda back at this point. So Veda was injured in her match. So this was kind of our way to to kind of bring her back and and uh, give her another shot because the match didn't go as well as she wanted to because she ended up getting hurt. So we've got Chuck Taylor, we've got Kimberly, and we've got Veda as guest. So. Uh, more than what we had been before, so that kind of don't forget makes us a big show. Forgetting one massive name, I, I sort of am, <laughs> Mister Azerbaijan uh, yes. from yeah. Takara as well. We're, we're going to hit that very soon. Yeah, so we kick off the show. It's a huge show, and there's lots of luminaries in the building. One of which is the NWA National Champion Tim Storm. So he is. He's sitting at what used to be the Starks VIP table. He's checking out the show. Uh, he's there from the start. So to kick off the show, we have, which to me, oh man, like I, I it's going to pain me to say this because it is one of my favorite matches, but it's also one of the, the matches that I fight whenever we book it. But it's the Nintendo 64 Gotland, <laughs> which is just great. Because everyone is nostalgic about the Nintendo 64 games. No Mercy. Yep. No Mercy Gauntlet. Now, uh, the, 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 the engine for that game, when it, you know, the 64 game, a lot of people will, will remember, was when you did a Battle Royal, it, w- it could only allow for yeah. four opponents to be in the ring at the <laughs> yeah. time. So if someone got eliminated, then someone else would run out. So the concept of this match that I came up with was it, it would start off with four people, and every time someone was eliminated, someone else would come out. And 
that was so this is this was the first N64 gauntlet and it was for the vacated Inspire Pro Junior Crown and uh man this was a great match yeah this is star studded so Steve Reno starts off with Matt Riot who's an athletic freak at the time and and so the, this begs the question right what the fuck ever happened to Matt Riot but you know uh Ray Ortiz from our AAPW days is giving it a whirl. He's doing kind of a suplex machine gimmick. Yeah. And <laughs> very bland. Yeah. Mr. Azerbaijan has uh, made the trip from Chikaraland down to to be in this uh, gauntlet. I don't think that I'm going to get in any trouble for unmasking Mr. Azerbaijan. Am I? So obviously Chuck Taylor is Mr. Azerbaijan. He has agreed to pull double duty here for us. And then, you know, you know, with the Chikara guys, sometimes you get, yeah, you get opportunities where you, you have get, somebody who's un, under multiple hoods or they're under a hood and they also go by their actual face. Um, this was one of those, those two twofers. Uh, and it, I think we were all pretty excited about yeah. it. Pretty, pretty hilarious. A lot of fun. Yeah. It, it, like, as always was with Chuck, you always got like three times what you thought you would get out of any fucking spot he was in. Yeah. So there's a reason that guy's on national TV now. So the first person out after the the original four is Athena, which Athena was usually over at this point. Oh, yeah. And like watching this stuff back, you see she's a fucking star. That's another one where the, it's no surprise she made it where she made it, right? I think it, in a different world, and there's reasons this didn't happen, but if, if we were going to go with a, a woman, a woman for the main title, she could have done it at oh, this yeah. point. I she was actually, that over. I actually did push for yeah. it several times, but yeah. there, there was. There's, there's other reasons, and I think we'll get yeah. into that late, later on. Um, not bad ones, but you know. Yeah, yeah. So, the person that comes out after is doom so we get our first interactions with athena and delilah doom which is a lot of fun there's a double elimination here and the taylor boys come out zach and dg uh after the taylor boys making his wrestling debut the recently reinstated thomas munoz this is where i come in yeah so uh as you may all recall we were grooming Thomas to, to come back as a wrestler because he had been training. He had been doing appearances. He, we, you know, his ambition was to graduate from ref to actual in-ring performer. And uh, I, was, I, was, I was game. I, and I always approached people that, you know, weren't ultimately the picture-perfect. Uh, let's just say I, I could tackle things creatively, and I thought spin them into gold and while i saw what thomas was doing outside of the company i wasn't really in love with it but he was over he was over because of his interactions with sammy and so it was kind of just a gimme that since sammy the guy that he was feuding with at the time was gone we put him in the inspire pro junior crown title match and thomas here has a pretty good showing like he does pretty much what i tell him to do here he comes out in a puffy pink pirate <laughs> shirt and a red vest and red pants and a red do rag, and uh, he comes out. He comes out to what song does he come out to? Oh, I, dude, uh, not music guy yeah, is not me. He comes out to some yacht rock yeah. shit, and he has two valets. The the Tom Tom Club. Uh, the Tom Tom Club, yeah, and they're like throwing. They're throwing petals around. Yes, rose petals. Yes. The first, uh, one of the two first Tom Tom Club members is one Laney Luck. Yeah. For, uh, yeah. But, you know, this is this is such an absurd, over-the-top uh, presentation of, of Thomas or repackaging that the pe- people in the crowd fucking explode. Yeah. I mean, he's already over because of standing up to Sammy, who was universally hated at that point. But then he comes out as... Ultimo sex symbol. Yes, and he and he basically just gets stomped most <laughs> of the time, which is what I wanted. I wanted him to kind of maintain this underdog edge, and I wanted him to have a very specific move list that I thought wouldn't show his ass in the ring. You know, because he was he was still limited, he was still green, and he hadn't really completed training to the best of my my knowledge. Um, but 
I, I wanted to capture lightning in a bottle. I wanted to do Ultimo Sex Symbol. I wanted to get him over. I wanted him to be the most over guy that I could make him. And we were well on our way at this point. Yeah. So uh, out next is Jojo Bravo. Um, and Jojo picks up another victory with the Inspire special. So if, if we had not gone a, a specific route here, I, th- I think there was a story there that we could have told as well. But at Fun 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 Fest and just kind of goofing off, Jojo cuts a heel promo on Steve Reno, which just gets the gears going. And uh, we go, holy shit, there's a lot here with Jojo as a heel. So in this match, uh, Thomas Munoz pins Jojo Bravo. And then the last person out, of course, is Davey. This is, by the way, this this yeah. very much is an upset. Yes. This oh, is, huge. And it sparks something. Yeah. Uh, Munoz eliminating this guy who has been over, over, over the moon with the crowd, yeah. picking up victories, having high-profile dynamic matches, being pinned by none other than Thomas Munoz, who yeah. is, in, you know. And I think JoJo felt like he was spinning his wheels here. Yeah. But he really wasn't. But... In his mind, he felt like he was. So we tapped into some some real feelings here too. Yeah. Uh, Davy Vega is the last one out. In the end, uh, Steve Reno picks up the win and is now the new J Crown champion. Um, People go nuts. Go, go nuts! It's time for Steve to party on the the town and celebrate his big victory. Except for a ominous voice echoes through the Marquesa Hall and Theater. The Hollywood Strangler warns that he's coming after Steve. Yeah. And out of the crowd comes a man in a ski mask and a black trench coat. And he attacks Steve and strangles him. And he runs off. And he's got the Hollywood Strangler written on his trench coat. And he runs off in the dark of the night. So this is the debut of the the Hollywood Strangler, which like, is basically a great like Repo Man type in a ski mask. Right, in the yeah. ski mask. Yeah, I mean, he's, he was really kind of influenced by Repo Man yeah. and the killer in uh, Toolbox Murders. There you go. Uh, that's, that's, that's where I came up with this. Do I go into, do you want me to go into, like, what I had in mind for this, or? Yeah, we, we get some of it, but yeah, go ahead and what your initial mindset was. Yeah, uh, Strangler, I think, I think uh, I concocted this because I always wanted to, again, I wanted to kind of uh, infiltrate Inspire Pro with this hooded menace stable. I loved masks. I love masked wrestlers, and I think... Uh, we were both really impressed with Bradley Axel Dawson's showing at Fun 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 Fest. And, of course, the Hollywood Knives legacy was something that really got Steve over. And it really made people hate Bradley. Yeah. It, it, I mean, in, in a way that you want people to hate him. He was a heel, and he didn't do shit. Yeah. <clears throat> but we also saw that he could go. He could do stuff. He could, he could work. And so I always loved it when guys would le- lose like a loser-leave-town match. And then come back under a hood. And it was very obvious to almost everybody that Bradley yeah. Axel Dawson was the Hollywood Strangler. Oh, yeah. So uh, that's mainly mainly what you know what we were going for there. I'm going to go a little further and even kind of like uh, yank the veil off entirely here. Um, as we mentioned, Steve Arino was uh, the Red Scare. Yeah. And there was going to be a push to... Uh, package Red Scare and the, the Hollywood Strangler as a tag team. And Steve-O as the Red Scare was actually pretty well-kept secret. Yeah. Um, but I always wanted to do something where once we m- minted champions, we were going to have Red Scare and Hollywood Strangler go over and then, of course, unmask to go heel and reveal that the Hollywood knives were behind this all along. <laughs> Of course, we never get there. We yeah. never quite get there, but it was a fun idea. I wish we'd gotten to do it. There's a whole bag of wish we'd gotten to do that. But that's, uh, ton, that's, tons. Yeah, that's one of them. So, this is, and this is Raven. Uh, we have drink specials for the first time. We have, like, the headlock and yeah. the swift punch. So, that was, that was cool. And to me... It, it's worth bringing up because that kind of shows the cool relationship we had with that staff at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Kind of reminded me of that. So we go into Mr. B versus Thomas Shire. For the Inspire Pro Pure Prestige <laughs> Championship. It, and this is where your creative just kind of, you went into overdrive a little bit here. Yeah. So it, it was supposed to be one thing. It was leaning a different way. And we, we really went into it. And I, I think... 
at least for the first couple of defenses, it kind of gave us something special here. So Thomas Shire defeats Mr. B. Mr. B gets on the mic and thanks him for giving him a chance. He knows that nobody really wants Mr. B around. Um, politics. Politics. This fucking dad from Hoop Dreams looking motherfucker. If I could steal a, a maxism. Um, and, you know, Thomas turns around and B nuts him, nuts shots him, takes the title and runs off. The pure prestige title, which is no politics, no bullshit for the boys from the boys. B steals the title. Yeah, well, I mean, at that point, though, we had we had designs that were so set that I couldn't just, you know, be tepid with it. I had to yeah. go one way or the other. And I think that this was in my in, in my recollection, this got a pretty good response. Yeah. Um, people were excited for this angle. <laughs> Uh, People love B. Yeah. And man, it, it, it it shaped things in weird ways. We're going to play with it on this next show, but to to you motherfuckers that cheered this guy, (laughs) fuck you. This is your fault. (laughs) Yes. And I'm, I'm blaming, of course, Carson. This is all fucking Carson's fault because he, (laughs) he rang led all this shit and I'm nice to Carson, but Carson, fuck you for cheering Mr. B. But yeah, like, so yeah, Shire gets booed in this match. B clearly the heel, the politics yeah. dirty underhanded. S- somehow there's this weird. I want to say ironic, but I don't, I don't know think, what it was. I don't think anybody anticipated though that Shire was going to get the reception that he did. Yeah, it was squarely because of B. Because yeah. B, and it wasn't just Carson. I mean, I know, I, I kid, but people love Mr. B. You know, and and I think it's just because people love to chant his name. It you know? must be yeah. The marketing one hundred and one, man. It's catchy, yeah. but people. People turned on Shire, and I think everybody was uh, surprised. And I think Shire, even backstage, was somewhat let down. Yeah, um, yeah, he took this pretty hard. This this kind of fucked with his psyche a little bit. Yeah. So, but but yeah, um, you know, and even even when he still, you know, every heel thing possible, and we can't get can't get any sympathy on our baby face here. It, would, uh, it was rough. Um, but it's going to go some fun places here, as you'll see. Uh, up next, so Alex Reigns, for whatever reason, I can't remember for the life of me, had thought he had to leave the state or was going to have to leave the state. Um, so we had to we had to put a new person in the world class syndicate. So, which is of course at this point Carson, yeah. Carson Houston, and Moonshine Mantel. Yeah, and Alex Reigns. But well, Alex is gone. Yeah, but he's gone. So, so, and the initial thought is Carson's the single guy, and we have the tag team with Moonshine and and Reigns. But now uh, we kind of reevaluate. We really put the utility tool on here to where we can do a bunch of different things, and we introduce Barrett Brown as the new member of the World Class Syndicate. This gives them somebody to mentor. go after. Yeah, to mentor, but to also. You know, Carson's going to go after the world, the main title. Moonshine's going to go get that new pure prestige title, and they need somebody that can get the J crown, so they're going to bring in Barrett for that. Um, so they take on the new movement. This is Keith Lee, Cherry Ramones, and Gigolo James Johnson. And, and in a weird way, the balance here between the teams is, is almost perfect. Yeah. Yeah, they all match up, don't they? Yeah. So in this match, uh, Cherry starts his normal cheating ways gigolo doesn't like it interferes to stop him from cheating and this gives barrett brown a chance to to pick up the victory over cherry really kind of get the world yeah, class this, so storyline wise J- james johnson gigolo has been uh dragged into this stable against his will by virtue of the fact that he won a prize he didn't want which which is membership into the new movement and we start to kind of move forward with uh with with an arc where James is kind of like, well, if you can't beat him, join him. And once you join him, change him from the inside. Yeah. And here he is rejecting this by any means necessary kind of mentality that uh, Chris True has, where he's just cheating by hook or by crook, they're going to win. But every time something like that happens, uh, Gigolo kind of dials it back and interferes and almost always costs them something. Yeah. So this this is this is like the classic face saddled with the heels, and he's the odd man out. He's still a teammate. There's yeah. still some weird camaraderie, but he is trying to fix things within his own group, and it's a it's a fun story. Yeah. 
so from that we go into uh franco d'angelo uh eric shadows and vg allen in a three-way dance so vg allen this is kind of a, a watershed moment because you have the paul london school yeah and the paul london school is directly tied to acw so vg allen is a student from the paul london school and this is the first time that we've used a, a paul london student a 100% Paul London great, student. And great character work here by this guy. Yeah, like so the the coolest the thing that he he did that would always pop me, he would ask for the ring announcer to open up the ropes and then go under the lowest rope still. Like a lot of a lot of just fun <laughs> character stuff. And a very 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 punk rock yeah. oriented you can tell by the name VG Allen yeah. which is a playoff of yeah. VG Allen. Yeah, for sure. Of course. And of course we have Eric Shadows here. And uh, I think this was supposed to be Franco and Shadows one-on-one, but there was like a shoot thrown by Franco as far as wrestling a smaller guy, right? Mm-hmm. So we put the extra guy in there. So yeah. Fra- Franco goes over. Um, I really wanted to use this to help build Shadows as a guy who's smaller, but you just can't put him down. But yeah. of course, it, it, some people won't let you have what you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so up next, we continue to really push the NWA women's title. Um we haven't t- touched on this, and, and I don't know if this is the point to do it, but the weird, wonky ref shirts that we were required to fucking purchase for the NWA. The big blue with the big patch. Oh, man, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. So, that was a requirement. Your, yeah. your refs had to be like NWA refs when you joined the, yeah. the, the NWA. So here, here comes the thing. Certain referees become valuable because they already have the shirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but the, also, those shirts were expensive. Yeah, yeah. It was a racket, man. Yeah. So, but Alfie is a referee in Texas who has his NWA shirt. So, he starts working for us. Um, and he is in this match, and he was in the previous Barbie match. So, in this match, we go, we pay back uh, homage to the finish of the previous Barbie match, where... The foot was under the rope, and then it's removed. So in this one, she Barbie removes the foot from the rope at the two count. At the two and a half count, Veda still kicks out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we go back and forth. We go back and forth. There's a, a Barbie Halo DDT. One, two, three. So in a weird way, I'm a connoisseur for shitty NWA booking. Yeah. And one of the big finishes at the time... They took the belt off of Blue Demon by having him pinned in Mexico, but his feet were still under the ropes. So we do that finish here as kind of an homage to the end of it. But this, to me, was a very... Barbie's great. Yeah. Veda is great. But there's just something muddy here about overall the complexion of who you're supposed to be booing or cheering for. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's where we really get it, to. It was, it, was kind of a, it was kind of a weird moment. It was still a, a good match. It was... Yeah. Some excellent character stuff from Barbie, as I recall. Yeah, and and Veda as well. Yeah, um, oh, Veda, but Veda, yeah, Veda is yeah. always Veda is Veda is a Hanna Barbera character. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the next match. So Alfie's been involved in both of these, and while well, the character work from Veda and and Barbie has been great. Alfie kind of plays it real straight, but like it's stuff he should be seeing. It's it's gotten the heat is not going where it should be. It's kind of going on the ref, so that's going to play in later on here. So we get the reason and the explanation we have for Veda returning and getting this match is that she's a lawyer and she has sent a suit against Inspire because of the outcome of her previous match. It was supposed to be a three way, but it wasn't. Blah blah blah. And to begin with, I wasn't real high on this, but Veda's selling of it here is awesome because there was nothing. And then because Barbie is a heel, there is a situation where something controversial has happened. And now she really kind of has a point and she's again leveraging this. I'm going to sue inspire thing sometimes to the, get her way. Sometimes the Veda lawsuit stuff was a bit thick, but yeah. she always did the best with what she was given. I always feel like we, we could have done her a greater justice, but there was a point in time where when we wanted to really kind of go gung-ho, where she just kind of blew up and everybody... She was, like, traveling a lot. Yes. So it was hard to do anything consistent. Um, yeah. This was also moving into a portion where I think the Emperor was uh, starting to be recognized as being flagrantly naked. 
Yes. And I remember Veda being dissatisfied with certain elements of the booking. And this is when I learned that, uh, yeah, Veda really started to become vocal about how she wanted to do some of the cool stuff that yeah. the, the male half the roster got to do. Yeah. Again, emphasizing that I never really had a hand in booking the women's stuff. And and what's funny is this actually, I can, I can answer a question here. We had someone email me recently and ask me at what point did we begin to realize that Stroud was playing us and it still has not occurred at this point. Not, not really. No, I yeah. am still I am still sort of on the outside of the women's booking stuff and Biss is on the other side and we're still sort of being played against one another by Stroud. Yeah, it, it's coming up here soon. Yeah. But yeah, we're starting to get pieces but we haven't put them together. Yeah. We, we have the puzzle pieces, they're falling out of the box but we haven't started to figure out what the puzzle is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, Anyway, yeah, I just wanted to to nod to to Veda's character work on here. I thought this w- this was the best of the the lawyer stuff. I agree. I agree. So we have coming up a tag match, and uh, this is an interesting story because this is one of those moments, and I think it's a very rare instance where something that we had on paper failed, and. Interestingly enough, this was also something that I was blamed for in terms of concept failing, but I have got to disagree. No. I think it is, was entirely the execution and the people behind it that caused it to fail. And I'm going to go into that in great detail and length at this moment in time. <laughs> so, uh, Sky de la Cromosa and the Great Depression representing the orphans are out there to do kind of a, uh, a fun little you know tag match or whatever. And we have... Uh, this moment where we have a guy who's been asking to return. And I had very different ideas about what I wanted to do with him when we brought him back after we kind of like had things cool down. And of course I'm talking about Greg- Gregory James. Um, Gregory James, of course, had a great win streak, uh, then had a great uh, title match against Mike Dell, which he came up short on. Then he had a brief losing streak, but in that time he... You know, he had great matches, great storylines. He, you know, wrestled evil from New Japan uh, at the time uh, that he was known as Watanabe. Um, and, you know, I, I had this thing where I wanted to bring him back as a face and do something really, really big with him. But when I talked to him at that point in time, he had advocated for another guy that I was really not high on. Um, Kyle Hawk, who had returned from a tour of duty... Uh, was being utilized throughout the state. Me personally, I I'd been disappointed in in uh, his physical shape. I didn't think he looked great in the ring. Uh, I didn't like his attitude. I felt like he was pushy. I had heard from certain people that they got kind of a dodgy vibe from him when he would show up to shows. He would often go in the locker room when we didn't want him in the locker room. Our rule is typically, hey man, if you're not on the on the card, get the fuck out of the locker room. But he was a guy that was just kind of like walking around like he was outside of a fucking 7-Eleven trying to score a dime, man. I don't, I don't, I didn't really get it. But Gregory was very tight with Kyle, and Greg wanted to come back with with Kyle as a tag team partner. And I envisioned this very cool tag team that kind of played on, uh, you know, some mystical stuff, including Kyle's. Uh, Kyle's uh, heritage, his Native American heritage. I really always wanted to do something where we had a character that was like a shaman. And uh, we had talked about doing something like that where Kyle was almost like a Native American undertaker. Which is a great idea. It could have been It could have been a lot of fun. So, these guys come out. I think there's a music cue fuck up that kind of causes, causes an issue. Yeah, it, uh, the music isn't cut properly, so yeah. it goes on for way too long. Yeah. But they come out in these big skull headdresses and these devil robes, these Satanist robes. Yeah. And then they, they kind of, you know, uh, unveil and there's, you know, like kind of like, oh, look, look who's back. Yeah. Moment. And then they do this really stupid thing where they run into the, the ring and they depose of the heels and kick them out and then they refuse to let the heels enter the ring and they keep them they keep them at bay. So anytime Depression or uh, Sky try to get into the ring, they they 
kick them out. And then yeah. they just proceed to sit in the center of the ring. Like Indian style. Indian style. And not do shit for like five minutes. Yeah. And I think there are some boring chants here. Oh, point. yeah. Yeah. So it... Yeah, okay, there was a music glitch, but there was the initial pop. People were excited to see them, and they had a great image. They had a great look. This is a new tag team. It's dynamic. It's setting up something that we have in mind for the future. Yeah. But because they come out and do this thing that is horribly inactive, where they don't wrestle, and they just keep the guys, their opponents, out of the ring, and then they just sit there, it kills the crowd. Yeah. And it therefore kills just whatever they they could have gone with. Yeah. They could have come out and been really dynamic, and it probably would have gotten it over, but... Unfortunately, they compounded the technical error by simply just being boring here. Yeah, no idea where they were coming from there. No, no. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so anyway. Um, <laughs> it gets even more interesting on the next show. Yeah. Which, there, there's... It's a theme throughout our history. Guys that we want to go in one direction, they want all of a another. sudden want to do a tag team and... Changes stuff over. So there's always somebody going, man. I want to work with this person, or man, yeah. can we bring this person over? And it's like, well, I don't want to do this, and yeah. and it's like, it's not, you know, guys, it's not hard if you're working continuously throughout the state to go do your boring ass shit somewhere else. But when you come to us, listen to us, because at this point in time, especially, I'm not, I'm not here to to. I'm not here to give you the reins to my company, man. Like, I know how this works. That's, that's, that's always been a thing where it's like, look, you can tell me what to do if you want to pick up the tab at the end of the night, but you're not paying the fucking bill on the building. <laughs> yeah. So let me, let me fail on my own terms, okay? And, and right now the tab's fairly large. So. Yeah, so there you yeah. go. Anyway. So we go into Ricky Starks versus Chuck Taylor, a match so good I continued to pitch it for like another three years. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's like something tells me those two together would be really good. Like, yeah. yeah, we did it a year ago, asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And it was. It was great. Yeah, it, was it was really good. It was a lot good. of fun, man. Uh, there's not much more to say other than, hey, man, go find this match and watch it. And it's amazing. When you think of where both of these guys are right now, it's, it's really fun to look back. The match after that is Jessica James taking on Kimberly. This was a face melter. Yeah, and this was just, hey, oh, girls, go kill it, which is what we wanted out of the women's. They tore it the fuck yeah. down. It is great. And I was blown away by Kimberly. He, yeah. I liked them. Like, after that match, I was like, please, can we bring her back every yeah. show? You know? So this was this was a example of somebody Stroud wanted to bring in, but us not allowing the bullshit to fuck up what they could do and just letting them do what they do. Yeah, there was no bookmark mud yeah. in, in the cogs, so to speak. Uh, you know, at this point, you know, you, you may have noticed a lot of that shit has faded out. Yeah. This was what we envisioned, I think, for the women, too. As a whole, we just wanted the girls to go out there and kick ass because so often times when you go to shows, you know, anywhere, the women are... The women are a special attraction, and I hate that. I hate that. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell you belly dancers at the carnival, okay? I, and I think the women deserve a lot better than that. I think, honestly, at this point, I was, you know, I, I had relented on women's matches because I, necess I didn't necessarily even want a women's division. I wanted to integrate the women. I, I thought that when you put up the gender barrier, it, it was a huge negative. It wasn't necessarily to the degree that Stroud wanted, because I, I still think that you, you have to approach it with some sense of realism, but um, this match epitomized everything that I wanted to have a women's division built around. Yeah. So from that, we go into our first major homegrown feud, um, Andy Dalton and Matthew Palmer, and this is the rematch from the, the title change match. Yeah. And... This is a lot of fun. These guys go out there. They have great chemistry. They fucking kill it. In the very end, Andy Dalton hits a pile driver. Brain buster. Hits a brain buster, and Matthew Palmer pops up at one. Dalton looks like he has no idea what the fuck he's going to do. Incredible. And kicks him right in the nuts. Yep. DQ. Yep. But it kind of a, kind of a, it's, it's, it, should, it could have been a shit the bed moment, but it I don't think yeah. it is. It's creatively really, really strong. Um, the match is phenomenal. It's, the, it's, it's, of course, continuing from when Palmer won the belt from Dell, and then, of course, Andy came out and capitalized on Matt's insecurity yeah. and won the belt from him. And, of course, this is really kind of at the genesis of a history and a feud 
that uh, that continues for actual years. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it is, yeah, it is homegrown, home rendered. And it's a beautiful moment. Overall, this is a really strong card, even though there were moments that didn't quite go the way I wanted them to. Of course, the the James and Hawk tag team, you yeah. know, the Franco match was just him being a monster. I really wanted Franco to help get Eric Shadows over, but that just wasn't going to happen, unfortunately. But overall, everything else on this card was, was really strong, and I think this is kind of like us finding our stride in, in, a, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we're, we're already putting on consistent cards at this point. But yep. this, to me, just this card, in a weird way, feels like home. Yeah, this we were back on track. And this is the start of a, of a really good period for us. Yeah. I mean... And we're also coming off of, technically, the last show was Battle Wars. Yeah. How do you follow that up? Yeah. I think we did it. Yeah, this, this is the phase where we have, you know, we have Palmer, Dalton, Starks, and Steve-O in... in I wouldn't say the prime of their careers, but they're they're exploding up, and you know, a lot of stuff is really coming together all at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, this, this is this is kind of a good period for us yeah. coming up. And of course, we know we're coming off of Battle Wars. You know, this this put a lot of pressure on this particular event because we knew we had to come back with something that felt huge. And oftentimes, it's the way that you punctuate a show that really sends people home with, with a sense of excitement. And I think the way that we ended uh, Ecstasy of Gold 2 really made this feel like a big show. It's like the way Raw used to end, yeah. in a way. Like, it felt yeah. fucking huge. So, we have Matthew Palmer and Andy Dalton, of course, were playing off of the, the rematch where Palmer... Uh, won the title off of Dell, but his insecurity got the best of him, and he immediately accepts a match with Andy Dalton afterward that leads to him getting pinned and losing the title almost immediately. This is the rematch, the follow-up. Everybody's really excited about this. Uh, and, of course, we have kind of a weird, fluky ending. And it would be a fluky <laughs> ending that shits the bed if not for everything that transpires afterward. Um so basically what happens is Dalton tombstones Matthew Palmer. Yep. Jumps up at one and straight kick to the nuts from Dalton. Yeah, but the but the but the way that the, the, the tombstone occurs, yeah. Matt takes it and shoots up like a daisy. Yep. I think he's even smiling. Yeah. So and, and it is a great moment and the crowd is just going nuts at this point and then the low blow occurs yep. and of course the it, DQ and the crowd just goes just goes they're living yep and and dalton tells the story on his face that what the fuck do i have to do to beat this guy nah fuck it yeah i'm i'm gonna kick him in the nuts and it really plays into what we did with him and icarus where we allow him to really be this this chicken shit heel champion um so you've got palmer's just been kicked in the nuts and he's down and outruns davy vega and they're beating down palmer at this point, I guess we kind of neglected to, to, you know, refresh everybody on the fact that Davey Vega is has aligned himself with Dalton, and they, you know, we've got Jensen and Dalton, and Jensen is is kind of kind of migrated out of the company at this point, and uh, you know, Davey Re- Vega runs out to assist Andy in beating down Matthew Palmer, and of course Franco runs out to even the odds and help his friend up, and then of course. A major thing happens, a major development. Yep. So Tim Storm jumps in the ring with his NWA national title, clocks Franco, joins Dalton and Davey Vega, and you know, they're they're now a, a solid group. And the music hits and out walks Raymond Rowe, who is still in an arm sling from his his motorcycle accident, or so we are led to believe. So he walks out, and everyone freaks out. And the heels, of course, are going, what are you going to do? You're hurt. Yeah, you're all fucked up. So he gets in the ring, and Dalton turns around and points to his head, and off comes the arm sling. And everybody in the crowd (laughs) jumps up and loses their fucking mind. And, of course, Ray cleans house. Yeah, big big slam on Dalton. Tim and Davey bail out. Drag Dalton. He's almost going to take the fucking death row knee to the back of the head, and they drag Dalton out. Um, 
and we just leave them hot. We leave them going nuts. Yeah, the crowd is going. The crowd is going crazy. And, and if not for that, that last spate of Ray Rowe, who's returning from his motorcycle accident, the the guy is a genetic freak. He was not supposed to be anywhere near the shape that he was at this point. The fact that he even survived was a miracle, but the fact that he was back at that capacity and there to do that spot was was phenomenal. He hadn't been advertised. No one really knew what was going to happen. But yeah, I mean, typically if you win a title match with a DQ nut shot, <laughs> the people are going to lose it on you. But this really felt like a massive moment. The pops were just boom, boom, boom. You know, you see people just like on their feet the entire time throughout this segment. And it's, it's a moment that I'm really proud of. And of course, it's just at the onset of us entering uh, a great series of steak days where we have Dalton and Palmer feuding and we have Ricky Starks. And it, it really marks a great period for Inspire Pro where I think uh, we're at a really high creative uh, point. But anyway, we'll be back uh, next week with Undeniable. Undeniable. See you then.